Norbert, I'm pastor of Bonnie Grace Church. If this is your first time, I'd like to welcome you. If this is your eighth time, I'd like to welcome you as well. Uh, folks, it's officially 56 days before Christmas. I, I don't know about you, but Jose Marichan is back on my song list. The funny thing is, my daughter is three years old, knows that her birthday is December, and December is winter. So, a couple of days ago, she started wearing this thick onesies for winter, and she would bounce around and go around. So the other day I told her, it's not yet very cold, and she's sweating like crazy. So I said, it's not cold. She said, it's winter, Daddy. It's cold. So I said, no, it's not cold. So, I, so she, says, she said, it's just pretend, see we, Daddy. Revelation claims that winter is here, that the season is here. You've heard about the Battle of Armageddon, right? There are people who have not opened the Bible, who have not cracked the Bible open, or whatever, but they know that there is a final battle called the Battle of Armageddon. Revelations chapter, Revelation 15 and 16 talks about the, this battle. And, and what we are presented is that the book of Revelation claims that we are in the battle right now. It's happening as we speak. In fact, we are in the middle of the tribulation, or what we call the persecution. We are in the middle, we are in thick of it. Let me give you some statistics. Out of the 2.5 billion Christians around the world, or those who identify as Christians around the world, about 350 million Christians are under persecution in the, mostly in the Muslim countries and communist countries some in the Middle East, in China, North Korea, some in the Southeast Asia. It's happening as we speak. Those in the West, we have no problem with this. We are mostly compromised based on consumerism. But we have seen an unprecedented decline of church attendance in 2020 and 2021 and 2022 because of the pandemic. And if I'm very suspicious, if I'm just suspicious, I would say that this pandemic has proven one thing. That the enemy has found one more reason, the enemy has found one more reason how to close the church. And that's scary. If I'm suspicious, I would say that this is a rehearsal for something that's going to go bigger next time. It's good that I'm not suspicious. The book of Revelation, chapters 15 and 16, talks about what's happening right now. Let me give you some of it. Revelation 15, verse 2 to 4. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and all those who have conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Lord God is Dominus et Deus, Almighty Augustus. It says, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. That's what we sang. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. If this is your first time, by the way, we are doing a series on the book of Revelation because we want to know what's happening right now. 
And it mentions about the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses is an allusion to an old story back in the book of Exodus where the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and after they crossed the Red Sea, Moses broke out in a new song of praise and adoration for the redemption of God, a new song. But it also mentions a song of the Lamb. Why is the song of the Lamb? Because this song is not just about the Exodus that happened in Egypt. This is also about the redemption of Jesus Christ today in the now, the song of the Lamb. How did they conquer the beast? How did these people conquer the beasts? Well, the answer is they died holding on to their faith. Contrary to popular belief, when a Christian dies, it's not defeat, it's victory. Because death is not defeat, death is not a detour, death is a passage. And to die holding to your faith is to die proudly for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's what he said in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when a person, a Christian dies, he gets into the kingdom of heaven. That's not defeat, that is victory. If you're reading the book of Revelation closely, it came in the form of a scroll. And when you have been reading the book of Revelation, you read seals and then trumpets and then bowls. It's kind of confusing at first, but if you think about it, I want to put it this way. Anyone here watches basketball or football or baseball? Anything? Oh, that's good. Baseball, basketball, football, whatever. Boxing or MMA, one of my favorites, MMA. There's such thing as we call as instant replay, right? You do that. When you, when you watch, there's an instant replay where a punch or a kick is replayed instantaneously so you see it slow-mo. So you know what happened exactly. They do that in football. They know where the ball is, if it touches really the line or, or not. So instant replay. The book of Revelation gives us in, instant replays. See, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls are instant replays. They're not, they're not events that happen chronologically. They're events that happen sequentially to give us different glimpses, different angles of what happened or what's happening right now. Let me show you this very quickly. This is interesting. Main camera, Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. It says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Kind of weird. But what he's saying is that when John saw a vision of the heavenly throne, this is what he saw. Remember this. Lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, throne. That's the main camera. Second camera, Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake. Same thing. But now the focus is from heaven to the earth. Same thing, lightning, thunder, peals of thunder. Third camera, different angle, Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And again, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. So the focus from heaven to earth, back to heaven. At the end of the seventh bowl, so there's seven seals, and seven trumpets, and then seven bowls. At the end of the seventh bowl, this is the fourth camera, different angle, but listen. Revelation 16, verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a 
loud voice came out from the temple, from the throne, saying, It is done. When was the last time you heard that phrase, it is done? When Jesus Christ was crucified. He said, it is finished. He said, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and great earthquakes, such as there had never been since man was on earth. So great was that earthquake. This is interesting. So different, same scenario, but different angles. The effect of this is like your mom, sorry moms, it's like your mom telling you to do something that you're lazy to do. She's nagging you to do it. One minute, after one minute, after one minute, you go to the bedroom, she would say it again. You go to the living room, she would say it again. This is like God nagging the world to pay attention. I am giving you warnings after warnings after warnings. You have to pay attention. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls are just different angles, but the same, same thing. Now, chapter 16 introduces us with seven bowls of God's wrath. When you think of bowls, you don't think of cereal bowls. <laughs> it's cute. You think about the bowl of piping sinigang, hot soup. I mean, bowls, it's scary. You don't just, you know, slurp it, it's, it's piping hot. So when you think of bowls of God's wrath, this is what you think about. Let me read to you Revelation 16, verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now, notice, only those people who have the mark of the beast will have sores or will be affected by this bowl or this plague. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like blood of corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. This is scary to begin with. But the plagues are reminiscent of what happened in Egypt when Moses tried to warn Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. He would not let the people go, so God wrought plagues in the land of Egypt with blood. In the land of Egypt, the Nile turned to blood. It's the same thing here. But then again, the book of Revelation is not to be taken literally. This is figurative for whatever purpose it serves. So you can rest assured that the COVID-19 is not the mark of the beast. This is not the plague that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 16. Some people are scared. They decided not to be, to have the shot, not to have the jab, because they thought it's the mark of the beast. It's not the mark of the beast. Okay, it's safe. You're safe. You're good. Because if this is only for those who have the mark of the beast, and you have the shot, then you have the mark of the beast. You, have, you don't have the mark of the beast. Correct? <laughs> not sure about that. <laughs> you don't have the mark of the beast. This is not the mark of the beast. The thing is that when the three bowls were poured, one on the earth, one on the sea, one on the springs of water, it's, it's like saying everywhere, down here, everywhere down here. But the thing is, why blood? Why did the sea turn to blood? Listen to verse 5, Revelation 16. It says, And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. Now, very interestingly, every time you hear or read this word, who was, who is, who is to come, there's always this threefold. But here, it is just who is and who was. First, who is to come? 
because it's already here. God is already here. Judgment is already here. It's like saying, this is imminent. It's like saying, it's 56 days before Christmas, but it almost tastes like Christmas. It feels like Christmas. It's already here. So you're saying, God is almost coming back soon. I don't know when, but soon. Who is, who was. For you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And you have given them blood to drink. It is not what they deserve. What that means is that the bowls of God's wrath poured on the earth, on the sea, and on the springs of water is what the, the people who have the mark of the beast deserve. The bulls are God's payback for persecuting the church. It is a just recompense for those who have the mark of the beast. Now, regardless if they participated fully or they uh, did not have a first-hand involvement, as long as they conspired with the beast, they followed the beast, or they have the mark of the beast, they are the recipient of God's wrath. And they said, therefore, they equally deserve it. This tells me one thing. When God pours the bowls of wrath, there's no distinction between small sin and big sin. There's no distinction between a career criminal and a shoplifter. There's no distinction between those who raise their fist against God and those who just sideline and say, I cannot make a decision right now. It doesn't matter. The bowls of God's wrath will be poured upon those who do not have the mark of the Lamb of God. There is no bystanders here where the judgment comes. It's either you are an offender or you are forgiven. You cannot be in the middle. Which means God judges both sin and the sinner. I always hear that God loves the sinner but judges the sin. It's not true. God will judge both the sin and the sinner alike. A person will make it to the new heaven and new earth because he only met one criterion and one criterion alone. What is that? He submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, because submission presupposes repentance, repentance presupposes an understanding of grace. And when a person understands grace, it is predicated by hearing the gospel. Behavior is not mentioned here. But why is that? Because behavior is a byproduct of our submission to the will of Jesus Christ. Behavior does not save, cannot save, will not save. I know a lot of good people, kind people, generous people, philanthropic people who will not go to heaven simply because they're not good enough. See, Jesus teaches that a good person will never enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because our standard of what is good is never good enough for God. I don't know about you, but however soft-spoken you are, that does not qualify you to go to heaven. We all are in the same boat of judgment, unless you have bent your knee, submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When a person decides to submit, not to submit to Jesus Christ because he thinks he's good enough, then he's not good enough. But there are people also who think, I'm not super good, but I'm not super bad, therefore I don't deserve God's wrath. Wrong. Again, there's no middle ground. It's either you are good or you're forgiven. Because good is not good enough. Either you have submitted the Lordship of Jesus Christ, or you did not. Here's the thing. 
the only categories in the final judgment is this. It's either you have the mark of Jesus, which means you have recognized who Jesus is and his claims, and therefore you have followed Jesus by publicly proclaiming who he is in your life, or you have the mark of the beast, which means you have successfully denied, suppressed, evaded, sidelined the call of Jesus, and you happily decided to follow the beast. There's no middle ground when the judgment comes. And that's why the Bible says God's judgment is fair and just. It's fair and just. And why do I say that? Because in verse 7, Revelation 16, 7 says, And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, Dominus et Deus, the Almighty, Augustus, true and just are your judgments. God's judgment will always be true and just. Funny thing is it is poetically the altar speaks, but you know what's under the altar? According to chapter 5 and chapter 8, under the altar are the souls of the saints that were slain. And there were the ones who were praying to God, vengeance, Lord, when is vengeance for us? When are you going to give us justice? The bowls of God's wrath is God's answer to the prayers of the saints who are asking for justice. If you are persecuted because of your faith in Jesus Christ, and you happen to die, and you go to heaven, and you, you pray to God, where's justice? The bowls of God's wrath is coming to the people who persecuted you. This is Revelation chapter 16. Folks, this is not something that will happen in the future. Like I said, this is happening as we speak. The bowls of God's wrath is happening as we speak. The book of Revelation is not just relevant to people in the first century or to, to the people the generation of people in 2099. The book of Revelation, the judgments of God are happening as we speak now. It is now. It does not happen in one week or in one year or in one generation. It's been happening continuously since Jesus Christ defeated evil on the cross. And God has been pouring his wrath until Jesus comes back again. Like I said, it's God nagging the world to pay attention. It's a series of judgments so that the world will pay attention. There's a reason why Jesus said it's finished on the cross. So when Jesus Christ breathed his last before he did that, he said it's finished. What's finished? What did he accomplish on the cross? Let me tell you what. Apostle Paul answered that question. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. He said, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Remember seals, trumpet bowls, this trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the cross is not defeat. The cross is victory. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is victory over death. He was not defeated. The Jews tried to execute Jesus, but they, they wouldn't have the power. Only the Romans did. So the Romans crucified Jesus. And they thought they have crucified the king of the Jews, the pretender. He's a comp competition to the Roman emperor. And they thought they defeated Jesus on the cross. But what happened really is that Jesus Christ defeated death on the cross. Defeated sin on the cross. Because you see, this fight was not against the Jews and the Romans, his fight was against sin and death. Let me 
clarify this. The victory is not over poverty or sickness or depression or being single. That's not why Jesus Christ died on the cross. The victory, because if that's the case, Jesus doesn't have to die on the cross. All he has to do is to live longer, heal more sick, feed more people, do more miracles. But the point of dying on the cross is to defeat death on the cross. Defeat death on the cross. That's the ultimate enemy that we have. That's the ultimate separation that we have from God. The book of Revelation is like an amplifier to the story of Jesus or the victory of Jesus on the cross. It shouts to the world that Jesus Christ who died on the cross won over death and sin. And therefore, there's a basis for forgiveness now. Somebody paid for that. Somebody paid for our sin. Fourth angel, Revelation 16, verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. So the first was on the earth, second on the sea, third on the springs of water. The fourth bowl was poured on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat. The first bowl was poured on the earth, and there were boils. Scary. And then there, the fourth bowl was poured on the sun, and there were scorched by the fierce heat. So imagine the combination, boils and then heat of the sun. That's going to be painful. That's excruciating. And they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish. Result, they cursed God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent. Very interesting passage. Now the fourth bowl was poured on the sun. The fifth bowl was poured on the throne of the beast. Where exactly is the throne of the beast? It, it's not a physical, literal place. The, the throne of the beast is anyone or any kingdom or any system that rises against God. That's the throne of the beast. And on the throne of the beast, the dragon is manipulated. The dragon presents itself as the angel of light. The, the dragon presents itself as the angel of light so that people will follow him. It's a deception. But we know that there's only one true light. There's only one true light. In the Bible, in the very beginning, Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. He's the source of light. We know that. There's only one light. But that means when Jesus Christ came and he made a very exclusive claim he knew he was talking to the Jews. The Jews knew that there's only one God. There's only one true light. And Jesus claimed a very clear and exclusive claim. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I mean, it's exclusive. All of those, life, truth, and way, are God's domain. Let me tell you this one. The Jews would always emphasize the light. You read any Jewish doctrine. It's always focused on the light. God is light. God's the creator of light. In the beginning, God created the light. The Greeks are big on knowledge and wisdom and truth. They call it logos. Plato, one of the greatest philosophers of Greek, would even say that truth came or the logos came before material because they believe that ideas are better than material things. And therefore, knowledge is better than things. Knowledge. 
But the Romans are focused on glory. That's why they invented the Roman roads. All road leads to Rome. We know that. Why? The only way they can have glory is if they conquer other nations, go back to Rome, and link them together. Glory. The Jews like the Greeks knowledge, the Romans glory. Listen to Apostle Paul. Consolidate this in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He said, For we, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord with ourselves. Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Everything is in Jesus Christ. You can't go any more inclusive than that. Jesus has claimed everything. Normally we think that after the bowls and the sores and the pains and the darkness, people will pay attention and they will repent, they will acknowledge God. Wrong again. In verse 9 and verse 10, they did not repent. Instead, they cursed God. They cursed the name of God. It's commandment number 2 in the Decalogue. You shall not use the name of the Lord in vain. And yet, they cursed God. These people have no concept of holiness whatsoever. Let me show you something what Paul said about this one. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. You see, there are people who would rather suffer than repent. There are people who would rather suffer than, than acknowledge God. Romans 1, 18, 20. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What wrath is he talking about? He's talking about the bowls of God's wrath. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And what is that? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that had been made so that they are without excuse. Now watch this. For although they knew God, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. See, denial is plain and simple rebellion. Rebellion is plain and simple idolatry. And therefore, the people who deny God are people who are idolaters. Because to deny God is to deny the one true God. So I can say this, that there is really no true atheists. Whether it's Bertrand Russell or Stephen Hawking or Richard Dawkins, there are no true atheists. Only those people who suppress the truth. Because they know there's God. Now, very interestingly, my daughter, who may not understand, uh, she's three years old. She doesn't understand the complexity of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and all those theology behind it. But she knows it's wrong to tell a lie. That is truth and justice. She knows that we are family and we take care of each other. That is love and accountability. She knows how to pick her own clothes. She knows what's pretty and what's not pretty. That's art and beauty. She's not compelled to say thank you, but she does in her own way, and she does it with a kiss sometimes. And that's freedom. In the same way, the people can only suppress the truth about God. You try to climb on top of the mountain. Anyone here who's climbed on top of the mountain? 
If you've been there and you see around, then you cannot deny the fact that this is beautiful. Somebody must have created this one. This is the this is the glory that is declared by the heavens about God. And no one can deny it. I haven't been to Grand Canyon yet, but I heard that it's really beautiful. I've been to Sedona. Sedona is a mini Grand Canyon. That's beautiful already. Uh, there's a lot of places here that we can say it's beautiful. And, and if we look at those natures, we will never deny the fact that there is God after all. See, the, the fact that it's there is God's judgment to the world. Judgment is for those who think or for those who refuse to bend the knee. Judgment is for those who think nothing of their happiness in whatever, however, whenever they can get it. When the sixth bowl was poured, the river Euphrates dried up. And in verse 16, there was no mention of repentance. There was no mention if the people cursed. What is mentioned is this, verse 16, it says, And they assembled them at the place in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now you heard, heard about this one, Armageddon. The fourth and the fifth bowl, the people cursed. But the sixth bowl, it's not enough to curse, so they gathered to fight against God. I mean, can you feel the rebellion here? Can you feel the angst, the hatred against God? Make no mistake about it. The war has been going on now since the beginning. You remember Genesis chapter 3? There will be an enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. It's been going on since the beginning. And when Jesus Christ came, being the representative seed of the woman, he crushed the serpent's head. When did it happen, Pastor? On the cross. The cross was his victory. It's not his defeat. Let me, let me show you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And what did he do on the cross? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's what happened on the cross. It's a defeat of the enemy. It's the defeat of the serpent. It's the crushing of its head. You see, the battle of Armageddon is no longer a physical, geopolitical war. He put it in the next level. The battle of Armageddon is a spiritual battle. The battle of Armageddon is not a war against Russia or China or North Korea or Iran. The battle of Armageddon is a spiritual battle. Let me show this to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that's physical and literal, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Your battle is against spiritual forces, not your wives. Do I hear an amen? No, the battle is not against people, not against those who protested on the streets during the Black Lives Matter movement. No, the battle is against the dark forces who are controlling the system of the world. That's what we are up against. Our fight is not against Vladimir Putin or 
Alik Al Khabeini or Xi Jinping, I'm gonna throw in Joe Biden here because you don't like Joe Biden. Or Joe Biden. Our battle is not with these people. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. Our beef is against these spiritual forces. And this is happening as we speak. This is an ongoing battle. This is a battle that we fight every day. There is no time out in this battle. There's no bathroom breaks. There's no halftime. Let me tell you this. The enemy knows that his time is short. So he's rushing his minions. He's doing double time. He knows evil does not sleep. It only waits. And then it pounces like a lion on its prey. Apostle Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. How does this battle look? He said, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds, towers, thick walls, strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That is our war as Christians. That is our war every knowledge and argument against Jesus Christ or against the truth. This is the reason why I'm very quick to correct my children. Whenever my son would come home from school and, and he would mention about racism and gender and identity, I would correct him. I would start with him because the correction is not the responsibility of his teachers. It's my responsibility as a parent. I'm very quick to do that. This is the reason why I labor to study the scriptures. That's why sometimes I feel guilty uh, of not having enough time to play with my daughter. Uh, she would always go to my office and she would say, Dad, let's play. And I would always say, I'm studying, I'm studying, I'm busy. But she would persist. So the other day, we were, she went up to my office. I was reading. And she would put on makeup on me, pretend, of course. We would drink tea, pretend. We would talk as if we are lovers, pretend, <laughs> while I study. I mean, I do this because this is important for me. See, the battle is fought everywhere. The battle is fought over your Facebook account, your Instagram account, your TikTok account. Thank God for Elon Musk. Now we have Twitter. But the battle is also fought in every public space, in every advertisement in every university, in every courtroom. The battle is fought everywhere, even inside your home. Why? Because the enemy knows his time is short. This morning, if you struggle to wake up, thinking of skipping church, and for whatever reason, that too is a battle. The Bible said to take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's not just some or not most. It's every thought, which is all thoughts. That means every thought that passes through our minds must be, according to Paul, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You see, the world is under no obligation to fight the enemy because they are on their side. But you do. We do. We are the only ones who are fighting the enemy, who are fighting this battle. I'm not, I'm not for a second worried that you will be misled, that you will change your mind about Jesus. My worry exactly is that you will become too comfortable. 
too comfortable to the point that you will forget that we are in a fight against the evil forces of darkness. Our fight is not against Democrats and Republicans, come election November. Our fight is against the evil one, against the deception of the enemy. And this is the reason why we study the scriptures, so that we have more truths to dispel the lies of the enemy. So if you don't know any truth about God, it's easy for the enemy to come and give you doubts and give you lies and deceive you. But the more you know what's true, the more it's hard for him to deceive you. The Bible said also that they came as deceiving spirits. Look at verse 16, uh, cha verse, chapter 16, verse 13. It says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings, to the whole world, to assemble them for the battle on the great day of the Almighty. Is it in the Bible? Yes, sir, it's in the Bible, Revelation chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. Demonic spirits like frogs. It's interesting. In the Philippines, frogs sound like coca, but here it's ribbon. I don't know how that was English. But what's, in, what's important here is that these evil spirits who can perform mirac miraculous signs are there to deceive the nations and the kings. That's what's more important here rather than what they say. The goal is to deceive the nations. The frog is, in Egypt, the frog is a symbol of fertility. I don't know how, but it's kept, kept in Egypt. It's a, a human body of a female with a head of a frog. She's a symbol of fertility. But these unclean spirits came in form of frogs, doing the same thing. Have you ever been, uh, I don't know, if you're in a situation where you're almost tempted because the enemy keeps on, ribbit, ribbit, do this, do that, do this, do that. Don't go to church. Don't read your Bible. Don't pray. You know, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care. He's no good at all. You are so pathetic, etc. Ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. That's what the enemy is doing. That's what the demonic spirits are doing. It's all a lie. The battle of Armageddon is not a literal place. And therefore, it's not a geopolitical Forget about the Left Behind series for now. They got this absolutely wrong. There's a, a long linguistic explanation about the Battle of Har Magadon. Now, two words, Har and Maged. Har means mountain. By the way, there's no geopolitical place called Mount of Megiddo. There's no, you can go there and you will not find anything. It's a plain or it's a tail, it's not a mountain. What you have, this is a kind of, uh, complex right now, but Har is mountain, Baged is not Megiddo, Baged is assembly. So it's more of the Mount of Assembly rather than Mount Megiddo. Let me show you this. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 and 13. Isaiah is prophesying against the king of Babylon. At this point, the king of Babylon have taken all the Israelites to himself. And he's trying to usurp the power and glory of God. So in Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied, he said, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. Of course, it's poetic. How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, 
I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high. This is the king of Babylon saying, I am like God. I will be like God. I will usurp the power of God. But then he said this, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. The mount of assembly is not Mount Megiddo. The mount of assembly is Jerusalem, where the temple is. The temple is, is where the Ark of the Covenant is. The Ark of the Covenant is the throne of God, the physical throne of God. So it's the mount of assembly. In 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. There's, there's no temple. So where now is the Mount of Assembly? See, the Mount of Assembly is not a literal place on the earth. The Mount of Assembly, the battle of Harmageddon here, is like saying the darkness where the forces of evil are consolidating its powers to attack the church. Because the church is the Mount of Assembly. We are called church. In Greek, it's ecclesia. Ecclesia means assembly. The forces of evil are consolidating its powers against the church. And if it's against the church, it's against you. Kind of scary. Also me. It's against us. What this means is that, you know, very interesting, you go to the Lord of the Rings. J.R.R. Tolkien was one point when he, when he narrated how Sauron, the evil one, is gathering his forces in Mount Doom ready to attack the Middle-earth. This is happening at Mount Maged. The Battle of Armageddon is consolidating his forces. I don't know about you, but what do you think is against, or what do you think is behind the woke movement? What do you think is behind this deep hatred for authority and anything that's godly? Who's behind the chaos on the streets? What is behind this hatred for the unborn? Why are pastors arrested during the time of pandemic? And why do we celebrate sexual perversions on the street and call it freedom? Mardi Gras, they say. Who's behind all this? I think the evil forces are consolidating their powers. Harmageddon is not the final battle. It's about the continuous assault of forces of evil against the church of Jesus Christ. It's a deception to make a switch side. Let me be clear. The enemy does not profit if you die. That is true. If you die, you're martyred. You go to heaven. You go with Jesus Christ. There's no profit in there. The only profit is if you take the bait, you are deceived, you switch sides. That's the only profit. That's why the enemy will not kill you. The enemy will only deceive you. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. They were deceived. The greatest weapon of the enemy is deception. Make you think otherwise about God. Make you doubt the goodness of God. Make you doubt the power of God. If there's anything that's riveting in your ears, it's most likely the enemy trying to seduce you to follow your beasts. Let me make this more concrete. You're too busy with work, you lack sleep, you have bills to pay, you are so stressed out. Pray is the last thing in your mind. Right? When was the last time you really enjoyed praying, talking to God? Not just asking, Lord, I want, I want, I want. 
when was the last time you you really had time? Like you're having coffee, relax. You're talking to God, telling Him about your day, or telling Him about your feelings. When there are so many things going through our minds, when we're so busy with so many things, prayer is the last thing in our minds. See, there's always a battle every Sunday morning because it's a lot better to stay in bed than to go to church, right? Do you feel the battle? Do you feel the urge to five more minutes? You know, my daughter would always say that, five more minutes, Papa. She would always have her show. And I'd say, it's, it's sleeping time. Turn up your show. Five more minutes. And when I say no, she would say, two more minutes. <laughs> yeah. There's a battle going on. When you pray to God and you say, Lord, I need this. I'm sick. Please heal me. Or I have something that's very important. It's very close to my heart. Please answer me. And there's no answer. Doubts come to your mind. Does God really care? Does God love me? Is He too busy for me? Can He do this for me? When am I, until when am I going to wait for God? And when there's no answer, there's gripping, gripping. Ah, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care. God is not able to do it for you. God has left you alone. Good luck to you. But you know, if you come to me, I'm going to give you what you want. This is what Satan said to Jesus Christ. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you but bow down to me and worship. Folks, do not be deceived. If you are, if you have made your allegiance, your decision to obey Jesus Christ, do not be deceived. These things are but deceptions. The bulls of judgment, the bulls of God's wrath, it's God's loudspeaker telling the world, repent. It's God's warning to the world, repent. Because when He comes back, there will be no more five minutes. There's no more time out. I, I need to think about this one. Now is the time. If you have not repented, if you have made, not made any hard decision to follow Jesus, now is the time. There's, there's no special power. There's no special prayer. All you have to do is with your heart, tell God, Lord, I repent of my sin. And I follow you. See, this is the problem with, with Jesus. I don't have a problem with Jesus, but the name of Jesus. People would think that there's power in the name of Jesus. That's true, but in what context? You cannot just use the name of Jesus if you have not bent down the knee to Jesus Christ. There's no power in there. I have a classmate when I was growing up. His name is Jesus. And I get offended whenever he wanted to copy my exam paper. I mean, come on, Jesus. <laughs> but what do I do? This is Jesus, so I give him the answer. If you have not bended your knee, or not submitted to Jesus Christ, or not have made Him His Lord and your Savior in your life, never ever, if you encounter a demon possession, never ever try to command demonic spirits. Three things. Number one, they will not obey you. Number two, they can attack you. And number three, they can move in on you. Why is it that the church have the power or authority over it? Because Jesus said, Matthew 28, I have given you all authority. 
All the authority has been given to me, therefore go. I'm giving authority. The why? The reason why we can use the name of Jesus effectively is because we have the vested authority of Jesus Christ. That's why we can say to the demonic spirits, be gone. Just like Jesus Christ. Because we have the power of Jesus Christ. But if you don't have, if you have not bent the knee, now is the time. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We come to you with absolute submission, knowing that the judgments are here. I want to pray for you, to those of you who want to make a decision. You can follow this prayer. You can do it on your own. Say, Jesus, I bend my knee. I repent of my sin. And I acknowledge that you are Lord and God. And I will follow you. If that is your prayer, I pray that the Holy Spirit will impress upon your heart this forgiveness, this mercy, this grace. And that you will experience it in a whole new way. Father, as we come as a church, as we come and acknowledge who you are in the judgments and the bowls, I pray for our loved ones. I pray for our friends. I pray for our co-workers who have let, bent down the knee, who have not made any decision for you. Father, will you, will you talk to them? Will you give this opportunity, this chance? Will you give us also the opportunity to share our faith with them, knowing that judgments are here? 